0: Set the Tone, please record your podcast. When you are finished, let the fans download on Spotify and listen to the latest episode. Welcome to episode 22 of the Set the Tone podcast. I am your host, Tony. We were away for a couple of weeks, but it is good to be back. What were we doing when we were away? Well... Easter Sunday hit a nice pick four from Keeneland to build the Kentucky Derby bankroll. So we will have a full breakdown of that next week. I will bore you with horse racing then, but in the process, try and make you all a little bit of money. You can follow the program along on Twitter at SetTheTone_Pod, underscore pod, and you can notice something else new logo. Yep, new logo on Twitter, new logo on the Spotify page for the podcast. We're rocking and rolling in that avenue. The show is brought to you by Cleveland Fishing Co. Check them out, clevelandfishingco.com. Not only can you fish the land, but you can rep the land. Check them out, clevelandfishingco.com. We are a day away from the NFL draft. The MLB is nearly a month into the season after it's delayed start we can take a dive into that the nba playoffs are in full swing but i think carrying the freight here will be the nfl draft sadly we don't have a mock draft for you i feel at this point in the year 2022 a mock draft is almost like a podcast everybody has one if you don't and you're a sports fan you're a loser hand up throw me in that category I'll just poke some fun at myself but of all the years to be honest to to make a mock draft I feel as if and you've heard this from other sources that it's extremely difficult to predict or have any sort of indication on where anyone is going in this year's NFL draft and a large part has to do with The teams that are at the top of the board and their immediate needs, but also on the other side of that coin is the quarterbacks that are slated to go in this draft, or that are at least slated to go in the earlier rounds of this draft, the Kenny Picketts, the Matt Corrals, the Malik Willis's, the kid from Nevada, those quarterbacks, Sam Howells at UNC, those quarterbacks, we don't really have any good indication, are they? one, NFL ready, two, what's their ceiling going to be? Kenny Pickett, by all accounts, is the most quote-unquote NFL ready. I think what you would take into consideration when you look at that is a guy who could get under center and most likely have the most stabilizing impact. To a team, right? Not that he's going to take over a game, but he could seamlessly be plugged into an NFL offense and run in stride where there may be more growing pains for the other quarterbacks potentially. But then we take Kenny Pickett. Okay, what are the limitations to him? What are the ceilings or really the lofty goals that we'll see with Kenny Pickett as he progresses in the NFL. And that's the age-old question that gets asked around this time of year that we won't have an answer to until really maybe three years down the road. I think people want instant gratification, right? After this draft, we're going to see draft grades come out where your Mel Kuypers, your Todd McShays of the world will say, this team did well in this category, let's give them an A, they didn't do well. Well, that's a day after the draft. Give me a real analysis three years after the draft. Tell me how a team did. Did they move on from picks? What did they do with the picks that they had maybe traded? Who did they plug in in years later? It is really tough to tell. And we look at the draft board. Jacksonville at the first pick. Detroit, number two. Houston, three. Jets, four. Giants, five. Panthers, six. Giants, seven. Falcons, eight. Seahawks, nine. And the Jets back in at 10. Now, much like anyone else, I have watched college football all year, previous year, so I have an understanding of some of these players. A couple things that stand out to me that I will say off the bat. Let's start with Kenny Pickett. He is a guy who I had watched, and this is now going back to 2017, I want to say. It was the day after Thanksgiving Pitt took down an undefeated Miami team it was in Pitt a sloppy game but Kenny Pickett was a freshman and he at that point had shown signs of being the big recruit that he was there were then growing pains sophomore junior year but he really came into his own senior year and I think there's something to be said that a guy puts his head down and just improves steadily Right, you'd like to see that sort of progression. And the one thing that I always try to keep in mind and add some perspective is there are quarterbacks who tend to wow us off the jump. But Josh Allen was not that. There were growing pains with him. He steadily improved. Patrick Mahomes did not start right away. Aaron Rodgers did not start in the NFL right away. Right, Some of these guys took a little bit to really get going. So Joe Burrow, who we're looking at here as what seemed to be on his way to a rookie of the year before getting hurt, the same Joe Burrow that had led the Cincinnati Bengals to an AFC title and a Super Bowl this past year, that sort of guy is the anomaly. We cannot have that expectation every time. And especially we cannot have that expectation with this draft class. Right? Take Andrew Luck, take Trevor Lawrence as the example. They still needed to pick it up a little bit after their rookie year. Right, There were progressions there that we saw guys who were that talented even make. So again, to think that a quarterback's going to come in and really blow the socks off one of these teams, not likely, just based off what we're getting. I mean, I'll even go on the record here, and we've heard comparisons to the 2013 NFL Draft, that you're not going to have a great quarterback here. You're not going to have a great day one quarterback, and I'll stand by that. And what's even funnier is, a tie and I don't want to say funny, but the kicker to all this, Baker Mayfield's still in Cleveland. So right now we have Baker Mayfield as a legitimate possibility. Here's the question that I'd like to ask the fans. I'd like to ask NFL GMs. Do you think... Let's take money out of this. Do you think there is a quarterback in this draft that is better than Baker Mayfield right now? They walk into your team facility on Monday. Who do you want through that door first? Baker Mayfield? Kenny Pickett? Matt Corral? Malik Willis? Sam Howell? Is there a quarterback going into the rookie year that you won over Baker Mayfield? That's truly the question I would love an answer to, and I don't know that we'll get. Now, what we might get is after day one in the draft, we may get a team pulled the trigger for Baker Mayfield because they did not get the quarterback that they wanted, and that's how these teams think, right? They're looking at some sort of cost investment as well. Can they get the guy with the draft pick Test out a rookie quarterback and see what they have. It's possible, but if they do not get their man, Baker Mayfield could be the next one up. And that's the same for Jimmy Garoppolo. And I'll ask the same question. Baker Mayfield, Jimmy Garoppolo walk into a into a training facility. Is there a rookie in this draft that you want over those two? I don't. There, there's not one that I see that I want over either of those two. And again, I get money is a factor here. That's a realistic factor that's coming into play that how these teams make a decision, sure. And they're trying to play a game of poker right now too. right? What is the true value of the hand that they're playing? And that's the same for the Cleveland Browns. What's the value of the Browns hand that they're playing with Baker Mayfield? How about the 49ers with Jimmy G? Because I'd love... To see, if I'm Cleveland, and this is a perfect example, Jimmy G could still go into San Francisco and compete with Trey Lance. We know that ship has sailed in Cleveland with Baker Mayfield competing with Deshaun Watson. That's not going to happen. So, the Browns have to ask themselves this question. Is the negativity and the rumors and the constant questioning about Baker Mayfield, although he's likely not going to be present, And does he himself turn into a bit of a locker room liability? Does he show up just to twist the knife a little bit? Is that the type of person he is? So what is the question that you ask? Is $18 million to Baker Mayfield or is peace of mind worth more to the Cleveland Browns? Is it worth it to eat $18 million and cut Baker Mayfield? Or is it worth it to hang on to him in hopes that an injury-desperate team, as this drags on, needs a quarterback? And this is all to be said if a trade does not go down on or draft weekend, Friday, Saturday, as we plug along here. But do teams because the Browns owe eighteen million dollars to Baker Mayfield? Do the 31 other teams in the NFL, and we can trim that number down immensely after Thursday night, potentially uh, Friday as well, do those teams possess a better hand than the Cleveland Browns do? I think they do. 100%. $18 million is a lofty price tag. So the Browns have a few options. You cut bait with Baker Mayfield altogether. That would not happen until after the draft. They get a very desperate team who takes on all $18 million. Or we go somewhere in the middle here and the Browns eat some of the money as does the team that's trading for Baker Mayfield. But does that lessen the pick value or return that you get for Baker? So that's the interesting nugget on draft night as it pertains to the quarterback. So not just the quarterbacks that are about to get drafted into the NFL, but the quarterbacks that are already in the league that don't necessarily have a home or are a little bit in flux. Now, we go through the draft here as well, and there's some other studs that we presume. Aiden Hutchinson out of Michigan, Travon Walker out of Georgia. There's even the wildcard in Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon who sat the year out. So it's been a revolving door, especially with the betting odds of who we think is going to go number one overall. Last I looked, I believe Travon Walker is still in that position or still favored to go number one overall. Could Hutchinson, the Michigan man, fall number two to the Lions? Would that be a fit? And then we have to factor in the trades that go into draft day. We could see a lot of teams move up. And in the middle rounds, we could see some of these early teams move back. And we don't know the grades that are in the war room here. And that's the fun thing to discuss and and see. And that's what gives us so much hype and build up around the first, especially the first day of the NFL draft. Two things I will tell you that I feel pretty comfortable about. Sauce Gardner out of Cincinnati, I am a big fan of. Junior cornerback coming out of Cincinnati was an absolute stud on that defense. I think he'll be a stud in the NFL. And he's also a guy who's pretty confident in himself. That is someone that I want matching up with the number one on NFL Sundays into the future. Another, and just this is looking at mock drafts, I've seen Drake London out of USC as the number one wide receiver taken. I've seen Garrett Wilson out of Ohio State as the number two, potentially the number one. In my opinion, I think the best receiver in this draft will be from Ohio State, but I think it's Chris Olave. Right now, just looking at a Charles Davis mock draft on NFL.com, slated to go to the Saints at number 19. I liked what I saw from Chris Olave watching Big Ten football. I think he makes that transition. Brian Hartline has done a great job, the former Miami Dolphin, has done a great job going back to his alma mater, becoming the wide receivers coach, and turning into a little bit of a wide receiver factory. And for a period of time, remember, we thought that Ohio State was a quarterback factory, while in turn it was a wide receiver factory. Right, that Heartline had done a good job coaching up those kids, that those kids had come into the NFL and produced on Sundays. And maybe that carries the freight a little bit for that program. So, those are all fun things to watch as we move on to the Thursday in the NFL draft, just a day away now. Here's something else that I thought, and this is just a very annoying comment that I hear time and time again. And I. Kind of goes back to people talking about draft value, draft grades on a player. Well, why would you draft that guy and fill a need? Or it's a running back, and, and this is truly—it's kind of circles around the running back position and the NFL. And I go back to the Giants drafting Saquon Barkley second overall, a guy who is that talented. How do you pass up on him? And I get that you can look back in hindsight, twenty twenty, to go and say that. Well, you could have taken X, Y, Z player instead of him, and they would have been better off. Okay, here's the problem with that thinking, to say it's a running back, we don't need him because we need to build in other areas. You can get running backs anywhere in the NFL. So what what will happen is with that rationale is if all the teams who do not necessarily need Saquon Barkley... Pass on him. Well, Saquon Barkley falls to a mid-round, mid-first-round team that is in a much better position to run as a well-oiled machine quicker than a top five team, a team picking top five in the NFL. Saquon Barkley has himself a damn good rookie year, a damn good sophomore year, probably a healthier career. And what happens? Well, then the teams that all pass on Saquon Barkley get the shrapnel. Well, how could you miss that? I mean, that's the argument that I hate the most because you can't have it both ways. You have to be fair to the situation and take it at the face. If you have a generational talent as Saquon Barkley... Now, the Giants fucked it up. We know that. They have had... A litany of issues. So to isolate this and say the Giants screwed up just for picking Saquon Barkley, I think there's bigger issues that go along with it. So that's the sort of take that I hate the most as it pertains to the draft. Uh, Fun notes as it pertains to the NFL draft is we're going to hear a lot of draft cliches. What do they mean? I don't think anyone has yet figured it out. Swivelly hips is a fun one. Great in space is another. So these are ways that for really just watching athletes, the analyst can feel a little bit smarter than the general, general population by throwing out platitudes that none of us really connect with. But it is good entertainment value for us in that reason. Um, again you can follow along this show, this program at set the Tone underscore pod on Twitter. If you were following along earlier today, you saw me, and this is a common theme on this show, how can the MLB better? It's superstars in baseball. And there's there's two thoughts where this goes here. I had seen something retweeted by a Seattle Mariners Minor League account, and it had listed the starting pitchers for Every single game today. Here's two free ideas that I am going to give the MLB and its marketing partners. Two free ones. One already tweeted out that was included with the MLB and DraftKings as their sports book. But wouldn't it make sense or wouldn't it be fun if there were odds listed on a bet the farm parlay, right? Bet the farm system. Every team in the farm system that is playing today, you can parlay them, or you have to parlay them, right? It kind of reminds me of FanDuel single-game parlay. They force you to take over-rushing yards, under whatever, this team to win, and they give you their odds, or they might call it a super boost as well in some cases. If DraftKings or any betting entity takes this and says, bet the farm, and you have Every farm system team or every team in the organization parlayed for that day, you have your odds set, and you make the bet. 10 bucks returns you, what, say 120 whatever the odds are. But now what you have gamblers doing is gamblers are checking in on minor league baseball. Gamblers are checking in on the players that play in those games, the pitchers that pitch. Who hit the walk-off home run? Who drove in the most runs? Who was the deciding factor? We now have a gambling audience spread their attention to minor league baseball where they are getting accustomed to baseball players at a much younger age. They can follow them through the farm system. And here's a way to look at it too is let's say sports betting is legal in the state of Ohio, which it is soon to be. Bill is passed, right? There are minor league teams littered throughout the state of Ohio. Toledo. Dayton. um, Down in Akron, right? Those are all places where there are minor league teams. So not everyone has the opportunity to gravitate towards a major league team. But all of those folks in those towns, they do have access to bet on sports. So now you have a way for someone to get more involved to go to a game. You have a way for someone to view these players, again, follow along, understand the journey, understand the story, and now when they make it to the major league level, they're a little bit of a commodity for at least now a larger nucleus of a fan. They might not be the core baseball fan, but they are the core gambling fan. Do those dollars then translate to betting on baseball? Do those dollars then translate to more eyeballs on the TV? It's very possible. And listen, you could say this is a bad idea. Quite frankly, it's stupid, is what you could call it. But I'll tell you what, it's an idea nonetheless, and it's more than what I have seen the MLB offer to this point. And another thing that I had thought as well, and, and this is not me bashing the MLB, but they have two 21-year-old stars currently playing each other right now in Wander Franco and Julio Rodriguez. Two guys that could be an absolute problem in the American League, in the MLB, for years to come. Those guys are currently playing in a series, and you don't see any hype around Rodriguez versus Franco. Zero. Zero hype around it. Now, one thing I did see when you go to the MLB's Twitter page and you click on the link in their bio that they do have a Wander Franco link and a Julio Rodriguez link marketing them a little bit, right? Now you have to go and search for it and I just happened to stumble across it. But one, why is the MLB not manufacturing a rivalry here? Two young potential superstars at the age of 21. And if their years go as we expect right here in the MLB, It would be foolish of the MLB not to set up some sort of marketing campaign where we see Julio Rodriguez and Wander Franco in commercials competing in some sort of stupid events together, right? We're building a rivalry. We're giving something fresh to the audience where, guess what? The commercial has not a damn to do about baseball. The most we know that it has to do about baseball is that Julio Rodriguez is a Seattle Mariner and that Wander Franco is a Tampa Bay Ray that is the most we should know we should have that sort of association like a good example let's take State Farm what they do with Chris Paul, Patrick Mahomes Aaron Rodgers do those commercials have much to do about basketball or football no But we associate that athlete or that actor in that case, Chris Paul, Rodgers, Mahomes. That's the football guy. But we're still attracted to that type of marketability, that stickiness. And the MLB does not do that. Right, the NFL does that well. Insurance commercials seemingly do it well. So maybe the MLB links up with an insurance commercial provider And just manufactures a star for once in their life. Or we could just see Mike Trout in another Subway commercial. Because, in the MLP's opinion, that is marketing their best player in the game. That is the best they can do. A Subway commercial that we have seen time and time again. We've seen what? Mike Trout, Ryan Howard. What's insanity doing the same thing over and over again but expecting a different result? It is insane the way the MLB attempts to market these players. Listen to this podcast, MLB. This is free of charge. right? I'm just giving you ideas. There's a care here about the, uh, about the sport, and we can tag that onto the idea that we have about maybe you should generate a Netflix series, much like the PGA Tour is doing, much like Formula One has already done. That's neither here nor there. I could yell about that time and time again. As I had mentioned, next week, Kentucky Derby week. So beginning this weekend, early next week, we will go into sort of a hibernation to come out with a podcast centered around the Derby and whatever happenings in the NFL draft. Maybe Baker Mayfield does have a new home. Still trying to work on a few interviews to get on this program, as well and pump that up a little bit further the goal for next week give you all a pick that you can make some money on in the big race the run for the roses the 148th running of the kentucky derby live from churchill down to louisville kentucky that's the plan i know horse racing can be confusing for the layman And to be quite honest too, it's not the sexiest sport in the world. Now, we talk about marketing the sport. There's another industry that needs some work on that, but there's a variety of factors a little bit different than the MLP itself as to what the issues are prohibiting them to do that. I digress. Again, the goal is to make you money. I can't claim that I will have a winning pick, but damn it, I'm going to try. Paralysis by analysis is true, and it's never more true than the Kentucky Derby. What makes it so fun is that you have 20 horses in a race. You have so much video that you can watch to compile on these three-year-olds, so many notes that you can read. And everyone can have a different opinion, but only one person can be right. We set the tone in episode 22 this week. Episode 23, we're going to come back. A lot of derby talk, potentially some money to make. Thank you all for joining. We'll catch you all next week here on Set the Tone.